Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. There seems to be a 12-step program for most anything these days. If you've failed at something or don't know how to do something, you're just 12 steps from overcoming the problem. That's not a bad thing, and millions can attest to the powerful ways that approaching an issue step-by-step can be life-changingly helpful. Even the Bible offers a scriptural plan to overcome any addiction. That's right. Let's let Dr. Jennings, who joins us today via Skype, explain. Dr. Jennings? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the 12 steps because we really are going to expound on those 12 steps, Alcoholics Anonymous, because those 12 steps are actually founded upon Bible principles. Mm. How this came about was people struggling with alcoholism back in the last century identified these 12 steps, and a book came out in 1939 identifying the process that these individuals were recovering from alcohol. And they are really not, and I want people to understand this, the 12 steps of recovery are not about abstinence from substances or behaviors. That's not what they're about. The 12 steps of recovery are about healing the brokenness of heart that leads people to do substances or behaviors as a way to self-medicate some unhealed internal wounds that are causing them to suffer. And so the 12 steps of scripture and the plan of salvation is about healing our brokenness, giving us new hearts and right spirits. And as we heal the brokenness within, then the need for the substances or other addictive behaviors fades away because we don't have that same pain driving us to try to self-medicate with the dysfunctional behaviors. It's a healing program because it is really the plan of salvation laid out in steps. And so we should identify those steps as we go through. Step one is of the 12 steps is admit you're powerless over your addiction. Well, we as sinners have to admit we're powerless over sin. Jesus said in Mark 2, 17, it's not the healthy person that goes to the doctor, but the sick. And Jesus is identifying those who think they've got no problems and they're quite well, they're not going to go to the doctor for any solution. And those of us who are prideful and feel like we are like the Pharisee and the publican, I am, thank you, God, that I am not like this publican over here. I am so good and so forth. Well, they're not going to actually humbly go to God for healing of their heart. They already think well of themselves. And so the first step in either the addiction or the problem of sin in our life is to admit that, in fact, we have a problem. I'm sick in heart. Lord, I got something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And number two? The next step is that believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And so we must not only know that we've got a problem, but we have to know there is a solution. And where do we find that solution? Of course, the Bible promises John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that, or he gave his only begotten son that who believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. And Jesus, when he says he's lifted up, he'll draw all into him. So we have to believe that, in fact, our creator God, who built us to operate in perfect harmony with him, can accurately diagnose what's wrong with us and has the solution that can heal us. So, yep, got something wrong with me. And wonderful, there's a creator God who loves me, who has a solution that can heal me. Amen. And three. So after those two, it's obvious what the third step needs to be. If I'm going to get well, just think about going to the doctor. Hey, I've got something wrong. Hey, there's a doctor here who's got a treatment that will fix me. What's the next step? Well, I need to put myself under the care of the doctor, right? Isn't Mm -hmm. that the next step? Right, right. Okay. And so step three is make a decision to turn your life over to the care of God. 
that's step three. We have to put our life into God's hands. Believe it or not, when it comes to addictions, many people struggle with number one. I can handle it. I don't really have a problem. Oh, you know, I only drink when I'm stressed. Other than that, it's it's not really a big deal. I can stop anytime I want. In other words, I don't really have a problem. I don't need help. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So often the first hurdle is just getting people to admit they have a problem. How many people with sin in their life uh, take the addiction? Well, I don't have any addictions. I don't have that. I don't look at porn. I don't I don't gamble. I'm fine. But they don't recognize their pride or their 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 mean spiritedness toward others or their judgmentalism of other people or the or the uh, hard hardness or their pride. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Step number one, we've got to admit that there's something wrong. Step number two, we have to understand there's a benevolent, gracious, loving, forgiving God who has what's necessary, the remedy to heal our hearts. And step number three, then we go to God and say, God, you know, I'm convinced, I'm sick, I'm broken. I was born in sin, conceived in iniquity. It's not my fault, but Lord, I can't fix it. I come to you for healing. I put my life in your hands. Remember Jesus said, he stands at the door and knocks and anyone opens the door, he'll come in. And so he's waiting for us to open the door. He'll never bash the door to our hearts open because the type of healing God wants to provide for us requires our free participation. Okay, number four, after we've turned our life over to God, then the next step, okay, Lord, I've opened my heart to you. And many people will stop at level three because they have a false narrative. They think the problem is simply the bad stuff they've done in the past. And I've come to God and the solution is that he will take and make a legal payment to the courts in heaven and pay the price. And the price is the uh, the blood sacrifice. Somebody's got to pay a blood debt, a life debt. Well, Jesus died that death and so he pays it to my books in heaven. So now I've accepted Jesus' payment. I'm done. I've admitted I've got a problem. I'm, I, I can't fix it, but no worries. I've claimed number three. Jesus has paid for it. And they stop. That's not the the problem. It's a false solution for the false conclusion and a false treatment. So there's no wellness that comes. They remain sick. Number four, though, when you actually understand, okay, God, my life's in your hand. What's the next step in your plan? Number four, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. You got to stop running from the truth. Stop running from your own brokenness of heart, the own ugly things that you've committed and participated in that you've been trying to avoid and deny and admit, yeah, that's me. I was sick. The truth shall set you free. And then you pray like the psalmist, Lord, search me and see the wicked way in me. And this would be the same as going to a doctor when you know something's wrong and you ask him to do an ultrasound and an MRI. You want the doctor to search the deep recesses of your being to find everything that's wrong. And so with your humble heart attitude towards the Lord, you ask the spirit of truth to come in and reveal to you all the brokenness and wickedness and deviations from his design that are rooted in your character and heart so that you can bring them forward to the Lord and in that relationship have them removed. Mm. And number five? Admitting to God yourself and to one other person, at least one other person, the exact nature of your wrongs. This is a specific inventory of the wrongs you've actually committed against yourself, against God, against other people, and a specific bringing them to the Lord and asking the Lord not simply for forgiveness of them, but for victory over them. Now, there's a healing aspect in this. One of the things that sin does to us when we commit sin, the natural result of it when we have done wrong is we get a conviction in ourselves of wrongdoing that makes us afraid afraid of reprisal, afraid of punishment, and fearful of rejection. Nobody can love me if they knew what I did, if they knew how horrible I was. And so we go out into society wearing masks that we put on, pretending to be more righteous and virtuous Mm -hmm. than we are. Church is filled with this kind of stuff. And so one of the healing aspects of God's grace 
is to experience that even though God knows, this is the point of confessing to another mature person, another human being knows that you experience that you're not cast off, you're not rejected. This would be the same thing, and I've had this happen with my patients. I've had patients tell me about some problem they're terribly embarrassed about, and you can imagine some of the medical problems that person might tell their doctor, whether it be bowels or bladder or something else, and uh, they're terribly embarrassed by it, but only when they tell their doctor are they now open for intervention to solve the problem. And one of the things that's quite healing for them is to tell the doctor about their problem and discover the doctor doesn't laugh at them, the doctor doesn't criticize them, the doctor doesn't hate them, the doctor doesn't reject them, the doctor has great human love for them and wants to intervene with them to remove the problem so they can be healthy. That's part of the healing solution from our addictions and other sin problems in life is that we experience God's grace that God doesn't see us as the sick person we are. When we come to him, he sees us for what we will be when we let him remove the sickness from us. And that requires a degree of trust on our part if we're going to come to God like that. That's exactly right. Just like you trust your doctor, a degree of trust. Number six, be entirely ready to have God remove all your defects of character. So it's not only do we confess them, There are people who confess, but they don't repent. The repenting is the heart attitude that says, I want to be free. I don't want this part of me anymore. I am sick of it. I hate it, in fact. I want it out of me, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. There are many people who will confess a wrong, but they don't hate the wrong in them. The uh, high school student that gets caught smoking marijuana is in the principal's office. They know they've been caught, so they confess it. Yes, I was smoking, but they are not sick of it, and they don't want to be free of it. They're calculating how they can continue to do it without getting caught. Number four was acknowledging the problem. Number five is through your relation with God to really embrace repentance, understanding the sick nature of this problem, how it's destroying you, and have your heart's emotional valence toward it change. So typically with addicts, when they think of their substance, they get what I call an emotional warm fuzzy. They go, oh, yeah, that would feel good. That would be nice. They think they have an emotional positive towards the substance, even though it's harming them. True repentance is not simply identifying factually that it causes problems for them. It's to have a heart change to where it becomes revolting and repulsive. The emotion is one of disgust and nausea and sickness, not one of reward and positive. That's a real heart change. And so do you want to be ready for that real change? I want to be, I want to be free of this, Lord. Okay, so number six, be entirely ready to have God remove all this from your character because you want it removed, because you repented and have a different desire. Number seven, humbly ask him to remove your shortcomings. So you can see four, five, six, and seven are kind of working through a process together, admitting the problem, choosing to actually want to be free of it, asking God to give you that new desire of repentance, and asking him to remove your shortcomings and desires, wash away my sins, create in me a clean heart, O God, so forth. Number eight, make a list of all the persons you've harmed and be willing to make amends to them. This is now about moving past just removing the sickness of heart that led you to hurt others from yourself, but a willingness for you to practice new principles. I no longer hurt people. Now I practice God's principles. I want to be a healer. I want to be part of the team that helps redeem and help other people. And the first people I need to help are those that I've actually injured. I want to make that right. Uh, Number nine, make a direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when doing so would injure them or others. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of people in the beginning phases of healing their heart, they feel so bad, they've accepted it, they're feeling the guilt, they want the guilt to go away, and so they want to go out and make all types of reparations, but 
so doing, they may actually cause harm to another person. And that's where there really needs to be maturity, have a counselor, have a sponsor to help you understand the difference of actually making amends and only causing further injury to another person. A classic example would be confessing a sin to someone who never knew you committed the sin and therefore causing them to have resentment and bitterness towards you that they've never had, which now only makes them have a burden to work through they never would have had to work through. Okay, makes sense. Number 10, continue to take personal inventory and staying in a state of open honesty with yourself and your relationship with God so that you don't let new problems take root in your heart. Number 11, seek through prayer to improve your contact with God. In other words, grow in your relationship with God. He's infinite. We're finite. We want to grow every day in our knowledge of his will and to carry out his methods and purposes and how we live, changing from the childlike way we used to live to the mature, other-centered way. And number 12, have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, carrying this message to other addicts or other people in sin to help practice these principles, showing the good life to people, that there is freedom in practicing God's principles and being free from those practices and addictions that bind us in fear, guilt, and shame. Wow. Listener, if you have been writing as frantically as I have, as we listen to Dr. Jennings here, I invite you to go to comeandreason.com. And this entire 12 thing is there in our blog. So just type in 12 steps in our blogs. You can get it all unpacked even more. Very good. You can print it out on your printer, put it up on the wall, and just really prayerfully go over this because Dr. Jennings always makes that connection with our life and God's love. And when you have that connection going, literally, literally anything is possible in God's name. And I just invite you to go to comeandreason.com and look around, type that uh, 12-step program in there, and you'll find this material. Other materials there too, his books and his radio programs and television programs and his uh, blogs, all right there for you to enjoy. Comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.